Introduction to Poems of Nature by Henry David Thoreau. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Introduction. The fifty poems here brought together under the title Poems of Nature are perhaps two-thirds of those which Thoreau preserved. Many of them were printed by him, in whole or in part, among his early contributions to Emerson's Dial, or in his own two volumes, The Week and Walden, which were all that were issued in his lifetime. Others were given to Mr. Sanborn for publication by Sophia Thoreau, the year after her brother's death. Several appeared in the Boston Commonwealth in 1863 or have been furnished from time to time by Mr. Blake, his literary executor. Most of Thoreau's poems were composed early in his life, before his twenty-sixth year. Just now, he wrote in the autumn of 1841, quote, I am in the mid-sea of verses, and they actually rustle round me, as the leaves would round the head of Autumnus himself, should he thrust it up through some veils which I know but alas many of them are but crisped and yellow leaves like his i fear and will deserve no better fate than to make mould for new harvests unquote. after eighteen forty three he seems to have written but few poems and had destroyed perhaps as many as he had retained because they did not meet the exacting requirements of his friend emerson upon whose opinion at that time he placed great reliance this loss was regretted by thoreau in after years when the poetical habit had left him for he fancied that some of the verses were better than his friend had supposed but emerson who seldom changed his mind adhered to his verdict and while praising some of the poems highly perhaps extravagantly would omit but a small number of them to the slight selection which he appended to the posthumous edition of thoreau's letters edited by him in eighteen sixty five and even those were printed in some instances in an abbreviated and imperfect form a few other poems with some translations from the greek have lately been included by thoreau's boston publishers in their volume of miscellanies volume ten of the riverside edition eighteen ninety four but no collection so full as the present one has ever been offered to the public it has not been attempted to make this a complete collection of thoreau's poems because, as has been well said, many of them seem to be merely pendants to his prose discourse, dropped in as forcible epigrams where they are brief, and in other instances made ancillary to the idea just expressed, or to perpetuate a distinct conception that has some vital connection with the point from which it was poured forth. It is therefore almost an injustice to treat them separately at all. After the discontinuance of the dial, Thoreau ceased to publish his verses as separate poems, but interpolated them in the manner described in his prose essays, where they form a sort of accompaniment to the thought, and from which it is in many cases impossible to detach them. That he himself set some value on them in this connection may be gathered from a sentence in the last of his published letters, in which he writes to a correspondent, quote, I am pleased when you say that in the week you like especially those little snatches of poetry interspersed through the book, for these, I suppose, are the least attractive to most readers. Unquote. Everything that concerns a great writer has its special interest, and Thoreau's poetry, whatever its intrinsic value may be, 
is full of personal significance in fact as emerson remarked his biography is his verses thus many of these poems will be found to throw light on certain passages of his life inspiration for example is the record of his soul's awakening to the new impulse of transcendentalism the stanzas on symphony perhaps contain in a thinly disguised form the story of his youthful love and the sacrifice which he imposed on himself to avoid rivalry with his brother the lines to my brother refer to the sudden and tragic death of john thoreau in eighteen forty two and the departure is believed to be the poem in which henry thoreau when leaving in eighteen forty three the home of emerson where he had lived for two years took farewell of his friends the numerous other allusions to the life and scenery of concord with which thoreau's own life was so closely blended require no comment or explanation thoreau's view of the poetic character as stated by him in the week is illustrative of his own position a true poem he says quote, is distinguished not so much by a felicitous expression or any thought it suggests as by the atmosphere which surrounds it there are two classes of men called poets the one cultivates life the other art one seeks food for nutriment the other for flavor one satisfies hunger the other gratifies the palate unquote. there could be no doubt to which of these classes thoreau himself belongs if metrical skill be insisted on as an indispensable condition of poetry he can hardly be ranked among the poets nor where this criterion was dominant was it surprising that as one of his contemporaries tells us with reference to his verses in the dial quote, an unquenchable laughter like that of gods at vulcans limping went up over his ragged and halting lines unquote. but in the appreciation of poetry there is a good deal more to be considered than this and as the same writer has remarked there is quote, a frank and unpretending nobleness unquote. in many of thoreau's verses distinguished as they are at their best by their ripe fullness of thought quiet gravity of tone and epigrammatic terseness of expression the title of poet could hardly be withheld from the author of such truly powerful pieces as the fall of the leaf winter memories smoke in winter or inspiration nor should it be forgotten that thoreau was always regarded as a poet by those who were associated with him poet naturalist was the suggestive title which ellery channing applied to him and hawthorne remarked that quote, his thoughts seemed to measure and attune themselves into spontaneous verse as they rightfully may since there is real poetry in them unquote. even emerson's final estimate was far from unappreciative his poetry he wrote in his biographical sketch quote, might be bad or good he no doubt wanted a lyric facility and technical skill but he had the source of poetry in his spiritual perception his own verses are often rude and defective the gold does not yet run pure is drossy and crude the time and majorum are not yet honey but if he want lyric fineness and technical merits if he have not the poetic temperament he never lacks the casual thought showing that his genius was better than his talent unquote. perhaps what thoreau said of quarles one of that school of gnomic poets of which he was a student might be aptly applied to himself quote, it is rare to find one who was so much of a poet and so little of an artist hopelessly quaint he never doubts his genius 
it is only he and his god in all the world he uses language sometimes as greatly as shakespeare and though there is not much straight grain in him there is plenty of rough crooked timber unquote. the affinity of thoreau's style to that of herbert dunn cowley and other minor elizabethans has often been remarked and it has been truly said that the stanzas sic vita might almost have a niche in herbert's temple it must be granted then that thoreau whatever his limitations had the poet's vision and sometimes the poet's divine faculty and if this was manifested more frequently in his masterly prose it was neither absent from his verse nor from the whole tenor of his character it was his destiny to be one of the greatest prose writers whom america has produced and he had a strong perhaps an exaggerated sense of the dignity of this calling great prose he thinks quote, of equal elevation commands our respect more than great verse since it implies a more permanent and level height a life more pervaded with the grandeur of the thought the poet only makes an eruption like a parthian and is off again shooting while he retreats but the prose writer has conquered like a roman and settled colonies unquote. if therefore we cannot unreservedly place thoreau among the poetical brotherhood we may at least recognize that he was a poet in the larger sense in which his friends so regarded him he felt thought acted and lived as a poet though he did not always write as one in his own words my life has been the poem i would have writ but i could not both live and utter it such qualities dignify life and make the expression of it memorable not perhaps immediately to the multitude of readers but at first to an appreciative few and eventually to a wide circle of mankind end of introduction